Social anxiety syndrome, better known as imposter syndrome, is a real thing. It comes in many guises and can be relentless and blindsiding people, and you'd be surprised by who it affects. I'm Nick Ede, and in this series, I'm speaking to some of the most successful and talented people in the public eye who suffer from what I call imposter syndrome. I struggle when people sort of say, oh, you're so brave, or you're such an inspiration. I'm like, no, I was just really hacked off. That's my guest for today, Anna Whitehouse. She's a presenter, author, and founder of Mother Pucker. She's the epitome of a super mum, with one eye on her children and the other on her media work. How does it feel to be such a high achiever? Does she feel she is one? Listen, Anne, thank you so much for doing this. It's really exciting to have you here because I'm a big fan of you and your brand. And we met once, I remember we met at the NSPCC event, which was really good fun. Um, and I just really wanted to first ask you about your your brand mother pucker and how how that came about and how did you start it yeah well it kind of started in a, a slightly bluer place uh you know like <laughs> motherfucker um yeah. and, <laughs> like it, it started uh in um a place of frustration i suppose more than anything um and uh i struggle when people sort of say oh you're so brave or you're such an inspiration i'm like no i was just really hacked off I was really annoyed and um, it started when I had my daughter and um, I got on a tube uh, after apologising for leaving a a meeting at 4.59pm, got on the tube, a guy got his briefcase trapped in the tube door and it put me 12 minutes late for nursery pickup and then I was charged a pound a minute after 6pm and sat on one of those tiny primary coloured chairs meant for a child and sort of told off by my daughter's key worker and it wasn't her fault the key worker you know they have a system that they're working within but I kind of apologized within a window of an hour to anyone and everyone and actually Mm. I felt at that point it's not my fault and I put my flexible working request in and it was denied on the basis that it would open the floodgates to others wanting flexible working and that's when I quit and campaigned and started with Mother Pucker, uh, but then later Flex Appeal, which is our campaign to fight for flexible working. Um, so yeah, started in a moment of, uh, let's say, frustration, not inspiration. And that, I mean, that's the thing that, you know, a lot of people obviously want to sort of create that disruption. And I suppose you are in many ways a disruptor because you are doing something. You're also talking for a lot of people who may not have had the confidence to actually say what you were thinking and do what you actually have done. Do you think what, what out of that frustration for that hour, how did that manifest itself into what it what it's become now? I think what happened was I didn't understand how Instagram or social media worked at all. I was kind of doing weird flat lays and stuff um, out of focus um, of really got off avocado. You know, like I wasn't, I didn't know <laughs> how it was all working until a point where that day happened and I quit my job and I just posted on Instagram, I quit. And I had 62 followers or something at the time. And I got 132 comments of other people saying, I quit. I couldn't make it work. It's not my fault. It's the system. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the moment where it wasn't about me. It was about everyone. 
I realized this was an issue and I didn't understand why it wasn't at the fore and why companies wouldn't want to recruit those living with disabilities or those with caring responsibilities or, you know, myself needing to simply be at daycare at um, 6 p.m. on the dot. You know, mm. there's no shame in having to pick your child up. Um, so that's really where it came from, it wasn't from anything within myself. It was actually many things outside of who I was. Yeah, of course. And then you've obviously developed it to become sort of papa fucker as well. And it's become a bit of a family enterprise. But how do you how do you separate the sort of home from the work life and, and that kind of being mother and then also being a campaigner and somebody that's, you know, now in the public eye and people listen to all the time? Well, I mean, my kids don't listen to me. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's hardly anyone who listens. Um, there's. I think that they all, it's one homogenous lump, if I'm being honest. There's not mm -hmm. a clear division because the reason I'm campaigning is because I was hacked off about not being there for my children and my family as much. And the reason my husband's involved is so that it doesn't look like it's a female issue, you know, for everyone it's a brilliant woman uh, who works in virgin media she said look i just put in my diary at 9 8 9 till 11 a.m every friday that Anne is at the vna she's like i can't stand children uh she's like but i need that period of time to get set my head straight and i don't like crowds yeah. weekend and i have no shame in taking that time for myself because i'm bloody good at my job and so i think it's the ownership she had of that period of time that she needs which to me was 15 minutes either side of my day to not be panicking about leaving a screaming child at nursery for example but mm. when you ask that question we it's not really a family enterprise it's more that uh, all different elements of our family are essential in the conversation around flexible working because it's as much a male issue as it is a female issue and I think the big thing is is that um I've had some serious kickback along the way. Funnily enough, not on Instagram. It's a bit of an echo chamber of agreement on Instagram. Everybody, there's times when I just think there isn't an issue because everyone's agreeing. But then I step outside of Instagram and suddenly the glaring reality of what that archaic layer at the top of businesses thinks. And it's, um, I had a guy uh, when I did um, our first flash mob we did in Trafalgar Square where there were nearly 500, I think it was 580 people turned up to shout about flexible working in Trafalgar Square to um, salt and peppers, let's talk about uh, flex sex baby. Uh, it was quite the, quite the scene. And the kickback I got was um, from a guy called Gordon. I remember specifically saying, God, this woman's just shouting about uh, wanting to be with her Weetabix smattered child. And I was like, this is as much for you as it is me, Gordon. And no, I, I don't want to be around the Weetabix, the crusty Weetabix, but I do want people to have a choice. And in the same breath, a woman commented saying, oh, you've got enough money to send your child in a taxi to and from nursery. Stop whinging. And I was like, Wait, can you imagine putting a toddler in an Uber and going, right, off you go, cabbie, uh, to nursery? <laughs> like, that <laughs> wouldn't happen. It's not about money. You know, we're fighting for shift workers to have more control over when their shifts are so that they can get um, the right childcare. We're fighting for NHS workers currently on the front line. You know, how are they managing their mental health how are they navigating this huge unprecedented influx of um 
you know, medical issues that they're not necessarily prepared for. Um, it's for everyone. And that's the bit that I can't bang on enough about. And that's why my family is to a, to a certain extent involved. Yeah, uh, including my grand, including my parents. My mum uh, is grandmother pucker and um, she, uh, she insisted she uh, got on Instagram. She's like, you know, if you can do it, I can do it. And she said to me the other day, she said, your father is struggling a little with my rise um, <laughs> because um, she's got like 25,000 followers, you know, and she's like just got a bus pass. And um, she said, what I've decided to do is um, not get a selfie stick. I will just allow your father to take the photos. <laughs> it's all about powering. <laughs> So, I mean, it's opened up a can of worms is all I'm going to say, Nick. But, um, yeah, we're all involved. Well, I'll make sure I'm that 25,001 follower, definitely. Can't wait to follow her as well. But I think the thing, I think what you've just touched upon as well with, with obviously today and, and as we are in this very strange world with COVID-19, the fact of the matter is that, you know, when you're talking about flexible hours and stuff like that, this is changing everything because all of us are now, as we all know, working from home, people are being furloughed, people are work, trying to work out exactly who is needed within their workforce. I personally am running my business. One minute I'm thinking, can I do this all on my own and furlough everybody or do I need staff to, to do the stuff, that the day-to-day -day stuff that maybe I'm not particularly good at? And it's just creating a real kind of, kind of muddy area, isn't it, of sort of HR and and circumnavigating a whole sort of brave new world when it comes to working from home. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, this uh, period of time that we're in is not uh, flexible working. It's enforced remote working. There's yeah. a huge, huge difference. And I think, you know, the issue I have slightly is that, you know, people, including myself, have sort of said, you know, now the world in 24 hours has gone flexible. No, what's happened is, you know, I'm currently teaching my two children while trying to hold down a job, while trying not to flick my partner really hard on the forehead. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things going on right now, and this is not a. This is these are uncharted waters. Um, mm. There's a reason that there's a, there's usually uh, parents who stay at home, stay at home parents versus working parents or part time working parents. You know, doing it all at once it doesn't work. It can't mm. work. So I don't think right now we're seeing a huge wave of flexible working. We're seeing a lot of enforced remote working, which is. You know, I just hope I hope it works to an extent. The tech is there. And the ironic thing is the amount of people who um, we've been banging on their doors about flex appeal and shifting the agenda within their companies. And overnight, they've come to us and said, what do we do? And I was like, if yeah. you just got it in place, like so many companies have, including like big companies like Deloitte, for example, if you got it in place ahead of being forced to, you would not see a difference in productivity. There would be no teething issues or big management issues or HR issues. It would have just been woven into the fabric of your working day. But as it stands, a lot of companies that were resistant to flexible working have now hit a massive brick wall because um, they have no choice. And I think it's a really big reminder to businesses that you, you don't have control. You're not in control. And that is what we have been fighting against is that owner and pet mentality of like employer owns employee. You don't. Mm. The world can decide overnight that you aren't going to all be strapped to your, um, your rickety office chairs under that strip line. Um, it's not your choice. No, and I agree with you. I think, I think this is going to completely change everything. And 
I think one of the big things you just talked about with regards to the nurses, but I think everybody, as you said, with regards to effects with, with working is that there are issues with mental health that are going to happen. There's going to be lots of, lots of, lots of issues which people are going to have. I mean, my, my husband, for instance, he was on gardening leave for two months in January, February, and then obviously this has kicked in and I was being furloughed for his new job. So, you know, he's had three months. It sounds, everyone's like, oh, you've had three months off. He's like, no, I've had three months of not doing what I want to do and using my brain the way that I want to use it. And he's and I can see that he's kind of getting quite depressed about it and desperate to do something. So I'm just giving him cookbooks. He's making as much stockpiling food. But but really, really, it's interesting to think everybody is going to come out of this with quite a different view on work, on business and on how to like progress, I think, really. And what's important? You know, yes. I, um, the despite having moments of near ir- irretrievable breakdown with my husband <laughs> in this process, mm-hmm. um, our children have seen how we work. They're there. They can see how mm-hmm. we tag team for better or worse. And I think uh, we have been fight like the weight of uh, childcare and caring generally on female shoulders compared to male shoulders uh, is hugely um, out of kilter. And I think we're going to see now a wave of men pushing to the fore saying, no, look, it did work. I made it work and I'm not going back. I'm not going back to how we were working before because I have proven to you uh, in a way that you couldn't have predicted that it it works. And I think the landscape of how of what we go back to is going to be completely shifted. Completely. It's going to change so many things. And I think and many of them for as you just suggested very positively and show that balance in a very different way i think it's you know we're talking about our future it's kind of like we're living in this weird future it feels like we're in a black mirror episode but it's actually a real one <laughs> it's crazy it's, i don't know most people i've spoken to said they wake up every morning and they're like oh no that wasn't a dream we mm. are we are in it um right now and um, I mean, currently, the main focus uh, for us is on providing uh, an employment uh, sort of coronavirus uh, clinic for people okay. who uh, just don't know where to turn. Because, um, you know, we saw the um, that awful uh, celebrity Imagine video from, was it Gal Gadot? Um, oh, God, it was terrible, wasn't it? That was just so badly thought out. It was just painful to watch and so um, so out of touch and so tone deaf at a time when um, like I was seeing and fielding messages from people who was like single parents who um, had maybe quit their job and had taken on a new job and then both contracts had ended. So the new job had said, sorry, we've cut your contract. The old job, they'd left. So they're mm. in the hinterland of unemployment with no mm. support and a child to educate no idea when money's coming in you know and then I saw that look nothing against celebrity I you know um, I indulge as much as the next person on uh, you know the the comings and goings (laughs) of Hollywood but um, it was just a real stark moment of actually what's important I'm not that interested in what's going on with that celebrity's life right now I am interested in this woman who is in this um, grey unsupported area and how how is she going to make that work so um 
LinkedIn got in touch and we're doing uh, on 9am this Wednesday, uh, our first employment clinic and they'll continue hopefully throughout this pandemic. So people can ask their questions. And we have so many questions from NHS workers, you know, who yeah, are on the line, who um, just aren't getting a break. You know, anyone singing, imagine all the people. <laughs> it's like, just at least get a few uh, of the real celebrities on that, which are the people on the front line right now. The well, that's the, th that's the thing. I was talking to a friend of mine and we were saying the celebrities are going to be the people on the front line. They are our heroes, you know, and standing out there, all of us clapping uh, last week, you know, was a moment of solidarity and a moment to celebrate them. But every single day they should be celebrated. And I totally agree with you. I, I think the, the tipping point for me was seeing Madonna in her bath with... Uh, don't you saw it with those with those roses sort of basically lamenting and you're thinking to have your madonna get out a checkbook maybe write something write spend some money and don't relax in this bath chanting it was um what did she say uh coronavirus is the great equalizer it doesn't discriminate <laughs> against rich or poor and it was like <laughs> Get get out of your head. You know, you've, still, you've got a good pair of lungs on you. I'm not. I'm going to give you that. But um, get your checkbook out. Same with Farrell Williams. Did you see? He was no. like that. Um, his audience donated up to sort of 150 thousand dollars to help hospitals, but he hadn't made it clear that he donated. So everyone was okay. like, "Get your checkbook out." Look, get we, don't out. we don't want to hear you singing or in bass right now. Just quietly drop the dollar. That's exactly because and then and then you get people you know obviously we've seen people like Mike Ashley you know and the guy from, was it Weatherspoons the guy from Weatherspoons you know who have this massive backlash against them because they obviously haven't really thought about or have a team around them who even thought about what they're doing because as we all know sports direct is not essential uh purchases but that you know causes so many issues with with people doesn't it yeah, although um, my co-host on the Ellie and Anna Have Issues show at heart, um, Ellie Taylor, she um, said that she'd done all the stockpiling um, in their house of just getting things together. And she said her husband had five packages arrive. And she was like, oh, brilliant. At least he's got on this. And she said they were five pairs of trainers. He just, <laughs> he'd stockpiled, like, the latest footwear, basically. <laughs> she was just like, are you kidding me? Um, and so you say that, Nick, but maybe there is a market for... Uh, maybe there is a market. People all want to run a marathon in their house. She was just like, what are you doing that for? He goes, well, you know, I might have to walk a bit more. Won't my size? She's like, you don't need four, you don't need four pairs of trainers. Back it up. What I do think, though, is I think what's really exciting and really interesting to see is how actually enterprising people are. I've got a friend of mine who is a, a personal trainer and they basically... You know, they've been giving free lessons. They've got around about sort of three and a half thousand followers on their Instagram. And they basically are now, they've said, look, guys, I can do this for you, but I want to monetize it to 15 pounds a month. And then suddenly they're building in a whole new revenue stream for themselves. It allows them to to do their job. And also, obviously, they can't, they can't as a personal trainer, you're meant to do one to ones, etc. They haven't got that revenue stream, but they're looking at other ways. I find this is I find this whole thing really interesting when it comes to people being pretty enterprising as well yeah and um i mean that was it with the employment clinic that we started running was you know we've pulled together a top employment lawyer mental health expert i'm going to lead it and mm -hmm. actually we don't need to be anywhere other than at home in our pajamas you know i mean yeah. the top will be uh, well dressed the bottom half will be um a pair <laughs> of jogging bottoms from 1996 but uh, <laughs> 
But yeah, I think it's um, I think it's a genuine recognition. What we've seen in the last two weeks, and we'll continue to see in the next sort of two to three months, if not longer, is that the tech is there, yeah. and we can use it to our advantage instead of seeing it as a disadvantage. I mean, not that people have seen you know tech as a disadvantage, but I think they've been wary, perhaps. Yes. Of- allowing it to facilitate too much freedom in their mind and that comes down to that owner and pet relationship I was um, telling you about Mm. earlier where when you talk about flexible working uh, flexible working has been working uh, for the last 50 years but one way towards the employer so we do roughly 468 hours of unpaid overtime a year Whereas, and then you think about asking if you can go to a doctor's appointment and you feel nervous, you feel unsure if that's going to be a thing that you're allowed to do. And you're like, I'm working, how many hours have you done overtime without being paid? I mean, you know you do it, everybody does it, but it's one-way traffic and all we're trying to do is address that balance and actually go to the point where, why am I emailing my boss about a cervical screening? Why am I not just saying I'll be out for a couple of hours and I'll, you know, you trust me, I trust you, I get the job done, you know, you know what I'm aiming towards, you can measure what I'm doing, stop looking at where I'm sitting. And that, I think, is a big mental shift that employers are struggling to come around to. Some are leaps and bounds ahead of others. Um, and, you know, even recently, coming back to the gender issue, is a guy got in touch and said um, he put his flexible working request in and his boss said, well, can't you missus do that? And he was like, well, she's a brain surgeon and kind of needs to um, to tend to people's brains on a Tuesday and a Thursday. So I need to pick up our child from nursery if okay. And you don't have to be a brain surgeon for flexible working to work, but it was just highlighted um, mm. that the sense of women should still carry the burden of childcare. Uh, mm. I still get the call from nursery if my kid has a temperature, not my husband. Why, why is everything weighted on female shoulders? Because that's why we have, you know, one of the reasons why we have such a hulking great black hole of inequality called the gender pay gap. So I think, you know, it's multifaceted how flexible working can help people. But the big one, the universal one, is mental health, is Mm. as much as we're all probably on top of each other at the moment, we're more connected with our families. There's no denying it. Um, For better or worse, I'm not saying it's good connection always. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I'm going to say. But, yeah, there is a value in connecting humans with their humans. And that's what work and working from a in a restricted way prevents people from doing is being with their humans um and i i'm dutch and i lived in holland for five years and i remember for the first two years of working there i thought they were all slackers i kept thinking i cannot believe how you're all leaving the office at 5 p.m you do not care about your jobs they cared about their families family is at the top of the tree in Holland Uh, they don't get everything right but it was my boss at Tommy Hilfiger who um, said I remember New York and London were calling in for a very urgent conference call I'm sure you've had the same you know to happen and he said no Amsterdam's gonna do it tomorrow we it's (laughs) he's like it's shoes it's handbags we'll do it tomorrow and I was like that's what needs to happen is ownership at the top you need a guy or a girl or 
you know, whoever's running the ship to draw those lines in the sand for those beneath them. Because if they don't, then people will simply sit at their their desks. What, you know, being just sitting. It's not a sitting game. I'm not paying people to be seat warmers. Uh, no, I think. exactly. And I think people can work smarter and they can work really, really efficiently if they are given, as you say, that flexibility as well, which yeah. is missing at them. So listen, I've got one more question to ask you, which is about basically every every episode we ask people if they could if they wanted to be somebody else for a day, who would that be and why? Although I think I'd, I wouldn't mind being you because I think you're fantastic. But who <laughs> would you like to be for a day? Please, can you just take over from me for a bit? Because <laughs> I've already had in the background of a conference call my youngest come in. It was a quite a big conference call with LinkedIn ahead of this employment clinic, and um, she walked in going. Duck off, you little duckies! <laughs> it's like, take the duckies away, hun. I think for me, uh, it would be. Let me think. Um, it would probably be. Uh, there was a, a woman called Lourdes Walsh um, who came to the Equality and Human Rights Commission with us. You know how we were talking about. Um, celebrities and famous yeah. people and actually uh i think the relevance of fame and celebrity is going to be superseded by people actually on the front line and mm -hmm. i say front line as in delivering food to people at the moment and 100%. um this woman isn't a celebrity she's not famous um she is a single mother who got in touch with me two years ago and said um I uh, had to put my child in the storeroom cupboard with horrible histories because I couldn't get child cover between, you know, school finishing and my shift ending. I couldn't get any flexibility around my shift. And I got called out by my company and I got sacked for that. And instead of the company asking, why was your child in the store cupboard? That's not an ideal situation for anyone. They sacked me. And I think I would choose to probably be in her position for two weeks before that happened to really understand that this isn't about, you know, a mummy and a daddy. It's not about, uh, or a daddy and a daddy or a mummy and a mummy. It is about people. It can be single parents, like how flexible working can work for everyone, not just about the nine to five, but about that woman who lost her job for simply trying to turn up to work and raise her child. Uh, and all that was stopping her was inflexibility. So I think it would be for her. She's not famous, she's not a celebrity, but Lourdes Walsh uh, is the woman for me. But she's an important person and to you, it's relative to you and it shows that you've got so much courage in your conviction and you want to make a change, which is so refreshing and so exciting. And thank you so much for doing this for me. No, thank you so much for uh, having me on. That's our show for today. I hope you liked it and found it both entertaining and enlightening. If you did, please subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. And while you're there, give us a five-star review just to make us feel we deserve it. Follow us on at PodPeopleUK, at Nikid, and at Mother Understraw Pucker. Imposter Syndrome was presented by me, Nikid, and produced by Mike Hansen for Pod People Productions. Theme music by Mike as well. We'll be in your feed next Thursday.